Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. A number of months ago, I got roped into playing an old game uh, with my niece. Uh, Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've played it, Pretty Pretty Princess. It's a game with, uh, if, if, you, if you've seen it, it's a game with just the, the cheapest, chintziest, uh, fake plastic jewels. Uh, but to my niece, she puts these on and, and she's as beautiful as any adult with real expensive jewelry. Uh, now, uh, I, I didn't win that game, by the way. Uh, now imagine somebody with uh, these cheap, fake plastic imitations going to a, a, a jeweler or jewelry store or, and, and asking seriously, how much can I get for these? They'd get laughed right out of the store, maybe even thrown out of the store. But this is how it is with our righteousness, our good and right works. And to us, our works seem, seem really good. The works we do for other people, maybe even the works we do for church, uh, it, they seem really nice, like, like really nice precious jewels. And we can imagine, we can have an image of ourselves that's, that's really beautiful and, and, and really pleasant. And we can imagine then that, well, God must be uh, very happy with us and, and what we've done. And that at any time we could go to God and, and trade in our good works for something good from God, maybe, maybe even heaven. But God... Uh, to God, his standard of judging is completely different than ours, like the difference between a, a five-year-old and a professional jeweler. What we think are nice and beautiful to him, as Isaiah 64 says, are, are filthy rags. Uh, rags used to clean up the, 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 the most disgusting and shameful bodily functions. And it should be obvious to us how worthless our works are, but it's not. There was a study published just last year that, that found that a majority, uh, 50, 52% of those who describe themselves as Christians, believe that salvation is gained by being or doing good. 52% of Christians believe that. In other words, the, they believe that salvation is due, at least in some way, to my good works, to my righteousness. And you might think, well, well, certainly the, the Roman church would believe that. But, but 44% of those uh, identified as Protestant Christians. And, and, now, most people would lump Lutherans into Protestants. Uh, I don't, as an aside, I don't consider Lutherans to be Protestant. Uh, Lutherans are technically evangelical Catholics. Uh, we have the continuity of the, the Catholic or the universal church uh, because we didn't protest and leave. We're not Protestants. Rather, we continued and retained the true teaching of grace alone, the gospel, the evangel, so we are evangelical Catholics. Uh, but it's easier to say just Lutheran. Um, now, equally as startling, that, that same survey found that, that 63% of Christians believe that merely having some type of, of faith is more important than, than what that faith is. This is foolishness. 
It's spiritual ambiguity. It'd be like having a, a line of, of cups filled with water. And, and in this cup over here, there's, there's 100% or maybe 90% poison. This one's got 80%, this one's 70, 60, uh, all the way down to, to this cup down here that has zero poison in. And it'd be like saying, it, it doesn't matter which cup you drink from, uh, all that matters is that you drink. It's foolishness. Why is this? Well, because for most Americans, at least, thanks to our rugged individualism, uh, the most important thing for us about religion is not the content, not what is received, but my actions. And it's really not surprising that most people think this way, because there's a comfort there. So we all like to be in control. If salvation is, is in some way dependent on my works, then I can control that. My eternal future is in my hands. My eternal future is not left up to, to anyone else, not, not even God. And, and if it's in my control, well, then that, that's, that, that's comforting to me. But it's not comforting, not at all. It's really a scary thought. Because listen to what Jesus says in our gospel lesson. He says, Indeed, I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and experts in the law were those religious people of the day who, who were really committed to making sure everything they did was in keeping with, with God's law, at least the way they interpreted God's law. And they even went so far as to, to make new laws uh, to protect them from the ones God had actually given. Uh, in other words, they, were, they at least viewed themselves and everybody thought they were really, really righteous. And Jesus says, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs if you expect to get into heaven someday. That's a terrifying thought. If you rely on your own righteousness, that's how perfect your righteousness has to be. And the point he's trying to make is that this is impossible. He's trying to make us despair of ourselves. He's trying to make us to stop believing that we're, that we're somehow so good as to score points with God on Judgment Day. And that on Judgment Day, God's going to say to us, you know what, you tried your hardest, you did your best, you can come into heaven. It's never going to happen. Not to a single person. Not to a single person who relies on their own righteousness. Jesus is preaching the law here in order to make us just how, uh, make us understand just how corrupt we are. You know, it's a misconception of sin to believe that I'm a sinner because I sin. So that all I need to do is, is maybe stop sinning or, or do more good, and then I'd, then I'd be a, a gooder, right? I'd be less of a sinner. This is the reason uh, some Christian denominations place so much emphasis on, uh, on, on acts of piety, that to be a true Christian, uh, you, need to, you need to do certain things. You need to wear simple clothes or, or not adorn yourself or, or not even adorn your church. Uh, or, or you need to get involved in small groups, or you need to, 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 to advocate for justice or, or for liberty. However, we Christians are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 
As we sang in our hymn, we are sinful from the moment of our conception because of Adam's fall. By Adam's fall are all forlorn, man's nature and his thinking. The poison's there when we are born, yet in sin, yet deeper sinking. The law makes this crystal clear. It reveals to us who we actually are, like a mirror. And Jesus uses three examples to show us this. In the first one, Jesus quotes the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. And this commandment that on the surface seems pretty easy, seems like one we've all kept. We've not murdered anyone. But Jesus says, I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. In C.S. Lewis' book, The, The Great Divorce, two men are talking with each other. One's already in heaven, uh, and the other is, uh, and he's trying to get the other one to stop relying on his own goodness so he can come into heaven too. And it comes out in their conversation that the one who is already in heaven has, has actually murdered someone, uh, a friend of the other man's. And, and, and the man that he's talking to just, just can't get over that. He says over and over again how undeserving that man is uh, to be in heaven and how much more deserving he is. Uh, how he should be in heaven because he's, he's never murdered anyone. He's never done anything wrong. He's, he's at least somewhat religious. He's a good person. But the man in heaven says that, that murdering wasn't even the worst thing he did. Uh, the murder he did in a moment of, uh, or fit of madness. Rather, it was that he murdered the other man continually with his thoughts every day. He hated him uh, and was angry with him deliberately and continually. And so he's here now asking for this man's forgiveness and he's offering that same forgiveness to that man. And he wants that forgiveness to be received by that other man, but but that man just can't let go of his own righteousness or his own goodness. And so he ends up going to hell. Jesus wants us to let go of our righteousness and to trust rather in his. And consider what Jesus' righteousness is. You know, often we, we kind of skip straight to the cross. You know, Jesus was born in, and then he died to take away my sins. And that's true. But Jesus did more than just be born and die. Right? If, if death was all it would take, then Mary and Joseph, the moment Jesus was born, uh, could have marched straight to the temple and, and killed Jesus there as a sacrifice to God. But Jesus had to do more than that. Jesus had to live a life without sin. And he did that so his righteousness, his righteousness in the face of being tempted with with everything that you and I have ever have, are, or will be tempted with, so that he could do all that perfectly. And so that that righteousness would be credited to us. Consider when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which we heard earlier. He says in each of the commandments, you shall. Notice that tense, you shall. It's a future tense. I mentioned this a number of months ago in another sermon, but, but when, when we speak commands, usually we use imperatives, right? Uh, go jump off our bridge or, or, or don't, don't actually do it. That's an imperative, not, not a future tense. Uh, but God, at least in all but two of the commandments, uses a future tense. Thou shall or thou shalt not. 
Each commandment, in other words, will be obeyed. It will be, because God cannot lie. And if they're not obeyed, then God's proven to be a liar. Well, the, we can't do that. We can't fulfill the Ten Commandments. We can't keep them. So does that make God a liar? Well, no, somebody else did them on our behalf. That's Jesus. The entire law, the Ten Commandments, the entire <clears throat> law is fulfilled in Jesus. And so St. Paul says that that righteousness of Jesus is credited to us. And how? By baptism. Through the promise of the word combined with water apprehended by faith. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into death. Our sins were buried with him so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk a new life. Our life is now not uh, one of slavery to sin, but, but of righteousness. In baptism, Jesus trades places with us. We don't get to trade our works for heaven. Jesus trades his works for ours. The Pharisees and experts in the law, or anyone who, who trusts their own righteousness, will never enter heaven. A person could be the most peaceful, most loving, uh, hardest worker imaginable. And without faith, they will never enter heaven. Conversely, someone who has done awful things, maybe even molested or killed, if they, having a penitent heart and knowing their sin, instead cling to the righteousness of Jesus, they will enter heaven. This is the Christian faith. It's the only religion in the world where eternal life is not dependent on me. We've not only been forgiven our sins, but given the righteousness of Jesus. And this now affects how we interact uh, with other people. Like the three examples Jesus gives in our text, we forgive those who trespass against us because that's what we've been given. We've been forgiven all of our sins. You have Jesus' righteousness, and you have the ability and authority to give that righteousness now to somebody else. So thanks be to God for granting to us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who, who recognize their worthlessness and trust rather in the righteousness of Jesus. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.